Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. So church, we want to take a moment to pray, and really we want to take a moment and pray over those who have endured the impact and to some degree honestly still are from the hurricane how many of you know somebody down in the florida area or you have a connection with a lot of us do i was talking with some friends before the before ian hit and they were evacuating and was praying for him god would cover them and protect them we have a church we've helped plant down there with Brandon Bruce. He sent back some pictures. Here's just some photos he took with his iPhone just of some of the devastation and the impact. And of course, it's more than just the physical impact. You see the flooding with homes and you see the impact from power lines to, to the devastation. But of course, it's deeper than that. It's in the lives of people. There's a couple million people without power. People lost their lives, displaced. I know that our heart is generosity. I love that about you. I love that about us. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. We often say when you give, you don't just give to 12 stone, you give through 12 stone, we get to be a part of things. I just want you to know we're deeply invested in helping where we can. I know the devastation is vast. Uh, we're connected with our partners, World Hope, and... Um, you know, they immediately they said, can you immediately help us? Can you just, there, there's so much to be solved, but could you just immediately put $10,000 in our hands to help us deal with this whole water situation, this osmosis of, uh, of turning salt and, and chemical water back to drinking water? That's really the first and great need. So you've already sent the first 10 grand and more will be coming as they understand what the needs are and, and how to serve. Uh, in that way and again the vastness of the devastation is is dramatic so can we take a moment to pray for them I don't honestly I don't even know how to pray I mean I I stumble through my prayers over the breadth of this but maybe you know people you're praying for maybe just in general your heart so wherever you are across the campuses and online community and 12 stone home would you would you bow your heads with me would you offer your own prayer and and I want to lead a prayer Heavenly Father you are the God who can make all things new. And we worship you and honor you and acknowledge you as creator of all that exists. And when devastation hits like this, uh, God, we're humbled. And we pray for those who first have experienced just loss of loved ones. Would you uh, shepherd them and comfort them? Those who are displaced and is devastated by the circumstance. Maybe, oh God, this is the time when people band together and this sense of community and the fact that we were created to do good 
might rise up in this season of time. Uh, we need that. We were made to be like you in that way. Maybe a whole bunch of daymaker stuff happens across these territories in profound ways. Maybe, God, this is a season when your Holy Spirit moves and in the humbling of it all, we become aware of our need for you. May many come to faith in you and bring recovery words desperately needed, bring strength and encouragement. Be gracious, O oh God, as you are. And for the ways we don't even know how to pray, would you just settle upon and would you answer the prayers of people who are even now crying out to you, help us, O oh God. In Jesus' name, and everyone agreed saying, amen. So would you, uh, before you're seated, Give a fist bump, a high five. I'm so glad to see you. I'm glad you're in church. I'm glad that you came. This is a great day to be together. Have a seat and let's get into the teaching, church. Now, don't overdo it. You're on my time here. <laughs> oh, the disciples wanted a great life. They want an awesome life, a life that would be great, you know, full of, of, of enjoyment and, and, and great career and eventually, you know, including things like great family, great marriage, great, great kids, uh, great, great, great uh, income, you know, it's, uh, great meaning, great impact. I mean, I just, who doesn't want a great life? I mean, I would sign up for a great life, wouldn't you? I mean, just let me just check. Anyone want to sign up for a great life? I don't know why the rest of you are like, no, I don't want to. Okay, I don't understand you. That's all right. I mean, everybody wants a great life, but how do you get a great life? That's really the question. How do you get that great life? And the disciples had uh, two completely different answers and paths, if you will. They had an answer from the culture, and they had an answer for Christ, from Christ. The, the culture, they were opposites. It's as if the culture said, well, if you want a great life, take a left here. And Jesus was saying, well, if you want a great life, take a right here. Just opposite directions. The world would, would say, oh, oh, if you want a great life, well, then lord over other people and be in charge and have power and be served and lord over and be f full of yourself. Jesus is like, oh, no, you take a right right here at this intersection. You go the opposite direction. You humble yourself and you... It's an it's interesting conversation. If you can engage it, this is... This is going to change your life. And that's where we find the dialogue in Matthew chapter 18. We're in the Jesus Storybook Bible. And it picks up a story that's drawn from Matthew 18. Jesus' friends were arguing. These are the disciples. Who is the most important helper in God's kingdom? They wanted to know. I am, James said. No, you're not, said Peter. I am. Nonsense, Matthew said. I'm the cleverest. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Yes, no, I am too. Sound like home? Anyone? Anyone with kids? This silliness went on and on like that for some time, but let's pause. This isn't just children. These are adults. We don't sound quite that way, but we do it a bit more sophisticated, but it's the same. 
You see, Jesus' friends had started thinking they had to do something to make themselves special to Jesus. That if they were the cleverest or the nicest or something, Jesus would like them best. How do you get a great life? Disciples were consumed with the question, the dilemma, and it makes you want to ask, you know what, while we're pursuing this great life stuff, I mean, why is the world so full of themselves? I mean, that, you know, sometimes we ask that sarcastically, why, why are people so full of themselves? And then we throw in that little bit, you know, why isn't everybody humble like me? <laughs> and maybe the reason people are so full of themselves these days is because we're buying in to the prescription and the path of culture that says you should be full of yourself. You should be about yourself. Yourself is the most important thing. Inflate your ego. Pride is a great way to a great life. And the disciples were buying into this. We see repeatedly in scripture, like in places like Matthew chapter 20 and the, the James and John, they have their mother come to Jesus and say, when your kingdom rises up, put my sons on your right and left. And the other disciples were ticked. Why? Because they wanted to humble themselves? No, no, because they wanted the right and left. They thought, you're so arrogant. I should have that role. <laughs> and then at the... At the Last Supper in John 13, when, when, when everyone comes in for the dinner and... and there's no servant to wash their feet. And so I'm not going to do it. That's beneath me. And then Jesus puts on a towel over his arm and he serves. And he said, no, no, if you're going to follow me, then be like me. So he's teaching them the world lords over and not so with you. It's different in my kingdom. And in my kingdom, we serve. We have this servant heart. And then you get to this Matthew 18 scripture. Now let's look at it from the NIV version. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus asking, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So Jesus called a child to them, which is interesting, a child to come and stand in front of them. So Jesus is given an illustration. I want to give you a picture. I assure you that unless you change, now get a hold of this because he's talking to all of us. He's talking to the whole world. Everyone listen in. You want to know how you get a great life? You want to know what great looks like? I assure you that unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You, you will not, you won't even make it to the kingdom without becoming more like a child. And in case, case it's not clear, the greatest of the kingdom of heaven is the one who humbles, everybody say that with me, the one who what? Humbles. I couldn't hear you. Everywhere across campuses, online community, 12 stone homes, say that word with me. Say, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the one who, what everybody? Humbles. So he's giving you description who humbles himself and becomes like this child. So in a world that says, if you want a great life, become full of yourself, Jesus says, humble yourself. Or let's put it like this. Jesus' response is be humble to get a great life. I don't care if you write it down, take a picture of the screen, whatever. Get a hold of this. This is the time where you start engaging and saying, oh, if I, oh, I got to settle that in my life. How do you get a great life? Because you're answering it. Do I go left like culture says, be full of myself? Do I go right like Jesus said to, to, to be great? Do I have to be humble? Because you're settling this every day in your marriage. Oh, am I going to be full of myself or be humble? And you're doing this at work as a boss or an employee. Am I going to be full of myself or am I going to be humble? 
You're settling this in the way you manage money and the way you make decisions and the way you engage people. When you come to church, we, we, your whole life you're answering on a daily basis, am I going to be full of myself or, or am I going to be humble? And, and Jesus' invitation here, just so you know, in the kingdom of God even, greatness is humility. So let's answer some questions. I mean, let's lean in. Let's spend some time and do the hard work of understanding what is humble. Why is humble a great life? And how do you learn to live humble? Let's work through these together. You engage. I've done the homework. I'll present. But you, you, you have dialogue with the Lord right now. You let the Holy Spirit say, Holy Spirit, I want to learn from you. What do I need to know about this? Let's start with what is humble. I'm glad you've asked. I have some thoughts. <laughs> Let me put the first one on the screen. Um, we're just going to kind of chew on this a little bit. What is humble? C.J. Mahaney said uh, it this way. Humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. Now just think about that for a minute. That's what humility is. Humility means that the, the first thing you're going to do is compare yourself not to others but to God. Do you see that? Do you see what humble? Do you see the difference? See, usually we're comparing ourselves to others. That's what the disciples were doing. No, compare yourself to God. God's holy, we're unholy. I promise you, if you make the comparison, you'll feel humble. Listen, it, it took the cross of Jesus Christ to make you holy. To cover your sin debt, to restore you to our heavenly father. No one is righteous on their own. You don't earn it. If you stay near the cross, you stay humble. If you stray from the cross, you stray from humble. What is humble? Uh, here's another picture. Humility is the opposite of pride. That is selfish ambition and vain conceit. Look at Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Really do nothing out of pride. Rather in humility, there it is again, rather in what everybody, humility, value others above yourselves. Like what does humility do? Value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. It's just a reorientation. It's not about self. So now you're rightly related to God. You're rightly related to others. You value God. You value others. Something is being reset. See, humility is this, this spirit of daymaker that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. And it, it's not a campaign. It's a, it's a resetting of our soul and how we do life. It's envisioning to us. We don't take a left with culture. We take a right with Christ. We see life completely different. And because of that, it sets something in our soul. Now, here's, here's kind of, you'll notice that the definitions keep getting weaker because this is my view of it. Humility is knowing your place. The previous ones, those are high-minded. They're really good. This like, uh, I'm not nothing. I'm not everything. That's, that's, that's deep. Like, man, can't you, if you had all week to work on this, that's all you got. That's all I got. Right? I've been working on it for a week. I've been working on it for like 50 years. Humility is just knowing your place. It's not more complicated than that. And that's really complicated to know your place. I'm not nothing, but I'm not everything. It's living in this place of knowing you're more and less. I'm more than nothing. I'm less than everything. 
And just to keep it high-minded, highly intellectual, elite-level teaching, humility is kind of like a properly filled balloon. Didn't that feel like we just went up into high-level teaching? I don't know. Let, let's mess with this a little bit. There, there are balloons that are deflated, like, like this is a deflated balloon. It has no air in it. But that's not its purpose. I mean, this purpose can't be fulfilled. And then, and then there's this, well, there's this, this overinflated balloon that can't hold in the air because it exploded. It's got all its pieces. And that's not the purpose of a balloon. The purpose of a balloon is to be properly inflated. I mean, that, that, that's, it, that's, its, that's its place. That's its purpose. It, it, it needs to be rightly filled. Kind of like a, like when you go to a party uh, to celebrate somebody's birthday uh, or, or, or anniversary or, or graduation, you, you don't take a handful of deflated balloons and say, happy birthday. That's not, it's not how you do it. it, it it's, that's not its purpose. But like, I, do any of you do like the iPhone confetti or balloon send? Dude, I, I mean, I do that frequently because I figured it out. Somebody showed me how to do it. So I do it all the time. When, when you send the balloons, they, they're not deflated. They look like this. Like the, the balloons come up. And then when somebody sees it, they're like, oh, that's awesome. And like a hot air balloon, right? Like, like a hot air balloon can't have too much air or it goes too high and kills you. And it can't have too little air or you crash to the ground. Are you getting this? Tell me you are, because I'll have to keep going for a long time until I'm like, are they dull or am I just not good? <laughs> Could be both. Could be both. What, what if humility is just the art of being properly inflated, properly filled? What if that's what humility is? And the truth of the matter is, we're not designed to be deflated. God created us. But when God created us, he then, by his spirit, fills us. And he fills us with good things. First of all, he makes us in his image. So we are image bearers. And so we have identity in Christ. And he fills us. And we have dignity in him. And he gives us purpose and meaning and gifts and talents and abilities he gives us many good things for our enjoyment. When you come to faith in Christ, he fills you with the Holy Spirit. And this being properly filled is a place of humility. It's not totally deflated. It's not overinflated. Because I'm not everything. I can't keep filling the balloon and be full of myself without the risk of pride, which would make me act like I'm everything when I'm not everything. That position is God's, and I need to know my place, and my place is not everything. The late R.C. Sproul wrote it this way. This is pretty insightful. The difference between a human being and a supreme being is precisely this. Apart from God, I cannot exist. Apart from me, God does exist. God does not need me in order for him to be. 
I do need God in order for me to be. This is the difference between what we call self-existent being and dependent being, and we are dependent. We are what? Dependent. We are fragile. We cannot live without air, without water, without food. No human being has the power of being within himself. Life is lived between two hospitals. We need a support system from birth to death to sustain life. We are like flowers that bloom and then wither and then fade. This is how we differ from God. God does not wither. God does not fade. God is not fragile. Amen? You see, humility is knowing my place properly filled, and I don't overfill. I don't inflate myself. I'm not everything. That's God's place. And this is the temptation in life, is to take every good thing that God fills you with and then to corrupt it until you are full of yourself. It's what Satan did. It's the first sin. It is the sin of the fall of mankind, and it leads to repeated falls. He got full of himself, full of his beauty, full of his power, all the good that God gave him. And then he over-exaggerated it. He over-inflated himself. And he said, I think I'll take the position of everything. What pride does to you is it makes you think you're more than you are. And by the way, it's not helpful right now if you're thinking who needs to hear this. <laughs> oh, I hope so-and-so gets this little text. You should listen today. It's sort of for you. You might be missing the point. <laughs> Equally, I am more than nothing. See, I'm not everything, and some of us have had enough success in life. Maybe you come from a successful home or a successful family. Maybe you have success in business. Maybe you have material wealth. Maybe you have accomplishment. Maybe you've gone somewhere in sports. Maybe you're somewhere in society. Maybe, maybe, maybe people follow you, and it, whatever it is, success, and you get full of yourself, and that's at risk. But maybe that's not your risk. Maybe your risk is that you've struggled with the I'm um, nothing. And humility is not you being just totally deflated. Well, I'm nothing. Aaron Rodgers uh, did a podcast in this past several months, and one of the things that went viral was his comment about being in college. And, and while he was there as a, you know, a, an athlete, he's the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. As an athlete, and he said, he, he, one of the teachers who treated him poorly and, and was kind of pushing in on him and treating him below the level of the average student, just like harsh on him. And, and in that, the professor asked him, what do you want to do? Come, come on. And what are you going to do with your life? He said, I'm going to be an NFL player. And the, the professor's response was, no chance in Hades. I inserted Hades. Uh, no chance in Hades. I mean, how diminishing, just, just deflating him. And, and then in a later encounter, like, I, Aaron, you're going to come to nothing. I don't think you're going to be able to do anything with your life. Well, he's done pretty good. You know, he's, he's got a Super Bowl ring and an MVP, and he's worth about $200 million. I don't know. I think I would take it. <laughs> what, yeah, how many of you would take $200 million right now? I just, I'm just curious. Who wants a great life? Half of you raise your hand. Who wants 200 million? <laughs> hey, maybe, maybe you come from some rough places. Maybe your parents treated you like you're going to come to nothing. 
maybe some key leaders and influences in your life. Maybe there's voices Satan is using that just keep whispering. That deflate you. This is not humility being a doormat for the world. God has demonstrated that you matter. And sometimes you have to figure out that you are not nothing. You matter to God. You have incredible value. God sent his son to give his life to ransom you. Humility is not overinflated and it's not deflated. It's the art of a properly filled life. Make sense? We should have another question then. We're having so much fun. Do we have another question? Oh, why is humble a great life? Good question. Let's talk about it. Because Proverbs 18, the Holy Spirit tells us pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Huh. You got to sit in that. I I, I, want to rush past it. You've heard it before. Pride comes before the fall. That's from scripture. That's where it's located. And and it's arresting us and telling us, uh, (sighs) see, why is humble a great life? Because the alternative is pride. And pride always goes before the fall. It will blow up your life. It always looks good on the way up until it blows up. We got all kinds of examples. One of them could be Samson from the Old Testament. Man, Samson, do you you even know the story? Samson, that's a children's story. I grew up with that story. Samson was was the strongest man in the world. And and because of his long hair, he was like the the original superhero. Absolutely amazing. From birth, he, well, let me give you biblical history. Okay, I'm going to start with kids saying, let me start with biblical history. Let me be, you know, I'll be a Bible scholar for a moment. The time period of time is, is, is generally speaking between Moses and King David and in this period of time of the judges in the judges the nation of Israel who is blessed by God and filled with the kindness and the mercy and the goodness of God would then become full of themselves and blow themselves up and, and, then, and then God would let like the Philistines and their enemies overtake them and oppress them and, and then God would raise up a judge and one of those judges was Samson and he said to Samson's mom and dad Look, I'm going to give a son through you, and they'll become a leader, and they should be a Nazarite, which means they had the Nazarite vow, and a Nazarite vow included things like uh, no wine, and, and, and don't touch anything dead that would be defiling, and, and, and never cut his hair, and he will have supernatural strength. And so he, he led Israel for 20 years. But in that period of time, I mean, he tore apart a lion. How many of you would run if a lion were running at you? Of course you would. How many want 200 million? And see, that's the only way I get all response. A lion, yeah, I'd care about a lion. I'd run from a lion. Yes, you would. And he ran at it and just tore it to pieces. He's so strong. 
Supernatural strength, the strength of God. <laughs> Philistines came after him. He took down 1,000 Philistine warriors in one battle on his own with a, a donkey jawbone. What? But like anything, when God is kind to you, the blessings of God can be corrupted. And instead of being properly filled, you get filled with yourself. And he became proud. Ah, now he has the freedom to, well, he hooked up with Delilah, Philistine, fell in love with her, or lust. And she's trying to find the source of his strength. And here's what you discover. Samson was anointed to lead, but he couldn't lead himself. Write that down. He was anointed to lead, but he couldn't lead himself. God might have anointed you for a lot of things in life, in your marriage, in your family, in your business, in the kingdom. But the first thing you have to lead is yourself. You have to arrest being full of yourself. And he couldn't. I mean, when you read his story and, and you hear that Delilah is asking, what is your source of strength? And, oh, he lies to her. He's like, if you, if you tie me with these seven ropes that have never been used, blah, 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 and then the Philistines are coming. They tied him up. The Philistines are coming. And he wakes up and he tears them apart and he destroys them. And you, you're reading this story and you're like, Samson, can you not see she's plotting against you? Don't tell her. As a kid, I love and hate that story. And then he tells her, well, I have this particular vow and the spirit of God is, comes on me and it's because of my long hair. And you're like, oh, how can you be so dumb? Full of yourself. Proud. As if it was your secret to tell in your strength, as if you were the source. When Samson, you're not invincible. You're so fragile. You are a haircut away from being defeated. We're a hurricane away from being undone. One cancer diagnosis away. One recession away from humbled. In the last 12 months, 10% of the wealthiest invested in the stock market have lost $8 trillion of wealth. Over one-fifth of their net worth. The bottom 50% of us have lost 70 billion. How proud are we in our self-sufficiency? You're fragile, Samson. And God graciously filled you And God made it possible for you to have blessing and to lead. And then you got full of yourself. Uh, 
It's right about here that you think, surely he's going to stop. And Samson didn't. And Delilah put him to sleep, cut off his hair. Philistines are coming. Scripture says, and he woke up and endeavored to take out the Philistines like he usually did, unaware that the Spirit of God had left him. They defeated him, they gouged out his eyes, and they imprisoned him. And because I don't want to be sued, I'll give you a lead. Notice, I'm going to keep filling. Because that's what he did. And eventually, if you keep filling, it blows up your life. And everybody watching can see it coming except you. Like, how did that happen? Well, you kept filling it. If you keep getting full of yourself, you will blow up your marriage. You will blow up your career. You will blow up your faith. You will blow up your friendships. You will blow up your life. It's not a mystery. It's just being full of yourself. Why is humble a great life? Because it keeps you from blowing up your life. Why on earth aren't we helping each other deflate? I, I jotted some notes down just to remember to say them. Pieces of a blown up life. J.W., a trusted friend, often says, if you do not humble yourself in life, then life will humble you. Seems true. Pride cost Samson his calling, his leadership, his eyes, and his freedom. What is pride costing you? Worse, what is it about? What it is, what is it about to cost you? I mean, don't you think that if Samson could go back in time, he would change that moment of pride? What if right now the kindness of God is simply this? He is arresting you today at the moment of this teaching so that you will deflate your overinflated pride and rescue you from yourself. And that is the mercy of today. If you have the eyes to see it, if you humble yourself, maybe the prayer today is, God, help me see where I'm overinflated in my marriage, in my family, and in my work as a boss, as an employee, in the church, in the kingdom, in the community, online. One more question. How do you learn to live humble? It's a good question. For the moments we have, let me talk about how do you learn to live humble? 
this isn't a state you possess. It's a place you want to live because you can be overinflated and deflated. How do, you, how do you live humble? And the awareness that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, it's from James 4, 6. But listen, listen, that, that's quoting the Old Testament. So this is Old Testament and New Testament. God opposes the proud. Listen, when you're proud, even as a follower of Christ, you put God in a position where he has to oppose you. Why? Because when you become proud, you start thinking you're everything more than you are. You're opposing God, so you require him to oppose you. But if you humble yourself, you get in the right place. You live properly inflated, full of the spirit, but not full of yourself. Right here, God can give you more grace. This is the best place to live. Amen? Come on now. This is the best place to live. But how do you live there? So let me give you some things that over the years, this isn't exhaustive, but some things I've learned. Learn to inflate and deflate in prayer. Write it down, get it in your head, get it in your heart, stamp a picture of it. Learn to inflate and deflate in prayer. Now, I have to shrink this for the sake of time because I, you know, I have like a 15-minute illustration I want to give, but, but let, let me shrink it. You have to learn to inflate and deflate in prayer. Sometimes what God graciously does is you come in prayer and you're so deflated. Like when I was graduating from college, uh, to be a pastor, you know, I'd gone through those years of training and now, and now I'm ready to go. World, you're welcome. I have arrived. The kingdom can now go forward and forcefully advance. I have arrived. Oh, they'll be clamoring for me. The churches will line up. Come be our pastor. And they didn't. Like I interviewed with numbers of them. And they, they, they didn't pick me. Until eventually, to my knowledge, I was the only one of all my friends in all the graduating class who went home without a job. I'm engaged to be married in a couple of months. I'm living with my single mom in her duplex, rented duplex. Our living room furniture is $5 outdoor furniture from Kmart, I promise you. I have nothing and I realize I am nothing. Why did I even bother? And God, how are you helpful? But because God had taught me the discipline of prayer on a daily basis and how to be in his word, you get in his word and you discover that even when you're deflated, what God will do is he will restore your soul. Those who wait upon the Lord, he'll renew their strength. Sometimes the kindest thing God does in prayer is remind you how much you are worth to him and to stay in it, wait on him. His purpose is being fulfilled. Do not let the world deflate you. Isn't that a kindness of God? About 18 years ago, a story I've never shared, and you'll hear, you'll understand why. Uh, recently, I was talking with the elders, and, and I asked them, do you know the time I was probably most annoyed with you? It's, it's a healthy conversation, as long as it's years later. 
Now, I, our, the, the 12 stone, I, I'm ordained in the Westing denomination, so I have accountability with Westing denomination, but I also have, we have elders who, who are voted on, and I'm, I'm accountable to them in this mutual voluntary submission. And, and, and in a sense, if you want to say they're kind of the boss in that sense, and when we do visionary things like Jackson County, by the way, Jackson County, I was there last Sunday at 9 a.m. That is one of the coolest things we've ever been a part of. Let's just celebrate y'all at Jackson County campus. How fantastic. Yay, God. Beautiful stuff going on. Uh, I met a guy, uh, kind of shy, Marcus, and he told me don't mention his name, so I won't. Um, but anyhow, love what God is doing. So, so, so when we have vision like that, that's all put before the elders and prayed over for months before you ever hear about it. When we think we have the will of God, we go invest in it like we are that campus. And, and, and so somehow we got in this conversation. I said, you know, when I was most annoyed with you, he said, no. And none of them could guess it. They all tried to come up with it. You know, you know what it was? It was about 18 years ago. We bought the 70 acres on Highway 20, and I was riding my motorcycle, uh, dirt bike, uh, on the prayer trails because I was praying uh, at high speed. <laughs> and and one of the one of the staff members at that time uh, who was not high in the organization uh, said to me, "I'm not sure that's a good idea." And I said, "I'm not sure. I care what you think." <laughs> now let's just pause right here. Let, don't judge me. <laughs> How many of you do not like being told what to do? You do not like being told what to do. That's more than 200 million. Did you? That right there. That was like. <laughs> Everybody, just 200 million, yeah, for the most part, but don't tell me what to do. So nobody likes to be told what to do, pushes against our, our, our pride. And I'm like, you don't even know your place. Like, bro, learn your place. <laughs> now, you would like to think I'm humble, and it's obvious that I am. <laughs> and your laughter is less than helpful. But in that moment, I was annoyed by the staff member. And I said, listen, we had a long conversation. I said, listen, it's an elder decision, not yours. He said, well, then have you talked to the elders? I don't need to, but they would agree with me. They would not care. Well, talk to the elders. I will. And I did. I just said, hey, just so you know, I'm riding my motorcycle out there. They thought it was an invitation to a conversation. That was not. It was just a pastor that they were just like, yeah, whatever. Who cares? And they start thinking, you know what? People walking on the prayer trail, that could be dangerous. You're going 50 miles an hour. And you probably dig out the ruts. It's probably noisy for the neighbors. Let's not do it. Now, they had no idea that this was annoying me. And it was my pride that brought it to the table just so I could just say something to somebody else. And they said, hey, let's just not do that. And I thought, that's a stupid decision. <laughs> I was so annoyed. I never told them. They didn't even know why I brought it up. A couple of days later, I decided I'm going to do it anyway. First of all, because I started this church. This church wouldn't be here without me, just so you know. <laughs> and so I don't own it, but I'm a pretty big deal. <laughs> and I decided, you know what? They didn't mean it. I don't care. I'm going to ride my motorcycle, dirt bike on the church 70 acres anyway. And then one morning in prayer, which is a reason not to go to prayer, <laughs> God like whispers, so what is that? What is what? You mean that mismanaged staff member who doesn't know his place? Yeah, you. Yeah, the guy who doesn't know his place. Your land? Your church?
Because sometimes the kindest thing God does to you in prayer is helps you deflate your overinflated self. And if you're never in prayer and never listening, you're going to blow up your life. I never rode my dirt bike on the land again, and I've been irritated ever since. It still, <laughs> it still bothers me. Let's not act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Listen, if you run a business, your pride in leading can be the very thing that stalls out the company. If the rules apply to everyone else but not to you, your pride will blow up a business. Creativity and innovation has to be your idea instead of humility, which is the best idea, wins. Don't kid yourself. See, I went too long on that one. Now we, now we got no time. What are we doing? Let's go to the next point. It's not your fault, but how do you learn to live humble? Learn to laugh at yourself. Tell your neighbor. Tell your neighbor right now. Learn to laugh at yourself. Just tell them. Hey, we were at, uh, sometimes stuff happens in your life. You just have to laugh at yourself. How do I do this fast? Uh, we were at, Ruth's Chris Steakhouse this last Thursday night because they had a speaking engagement and somebody gave me a really nice gift certificate. So we brought, Marsha and I went down, met our son Jake uh, down there who works for Delta and, and he's in downtown and we went to the Embassy Suites because that's where uh, Ruth's Chris Steakhouse is and it's in the lobby kind of off to the side, a little bit elegant, nice meal. Uh, my son got his first tomahawk steak like, whoo! 40 ounces you go bud and, and so we're having a great time we're a couple hours into this very long enjoyable dinner and and dessert comes and it's just fantastic and you know it's that's heaven only there'll be no calories so it's going to be fantastic and then while I'm sitting there in this elegant restaurant in this beautiful moment I feel like what felt like a drip on the back of my head and I'm like I think I did I don't know and then another one I'm like what this is weird and then and then it likes rain on my back. So I look up and like through this um, drop ceiling, it's dripping. And I, say, I get up, I'm like, what on earth? And then it starts splattering, it's soaking my pants. I'm, I, but we pulled the table to the side, now it's buckets. And then the smell hit. <laughs> sewage. Some sewage pipe had broken above me. During an elegant meal, high-level meal, poop water raining down. I told the manager, do you know who I am? No, I didn't. <laughs> we laughed and we laughed and we laughed. You're like, did you get a free meal? Yes, we did. And I, and I hey, yes, we did. And, and, I, and it wasn't worth it. I'm throwing the shirt out. And, 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 and we tipped the waiter his 25 plus percent and, and we laughed the whole time. And, and, you know what? When poop water falls on you, laugh. Laugh at yourself. Everybody else is laughing. It was disgusting. But every once in a while in your life, poop water falls. And it falls on you. Marsha and I are having a fight at the house. We'd gone through our little fair fight rules. This was like two and a half decades ago. And she came to me and I'd done something that bothered her. I don't remember what it was. I just remember the moment. I'm sitting at the dining room table. She comes to me, I want a fair fight. She tells me why. And I said, no. She said, what, what do you mean? No, you can't No. The answer is I call a fair fight. You have to say yes. I said, no, I'm not doing it. What do you mean you're not doing this? I'm not doing it because I don't like to lose. And I know I was wrong. And I just started laughing. I said, so I'll just admit it now. And I deflated the whole thing. 
And I just laughed at myself. She started laughing. I said, I was wrong. You were right. I'm sorry. Listen, if you would laugh at yourself like the rest of us are laughing at you and humble yourself, <laughs> you could deflate problems because humility is contagious and so is pride. And if you just laugh at yourself, you'll figure out how to become humble. All right, I'm past my time, so I'll just say the last two. How do you learn to live humble? Learn to clean up after yourself. That's a good one. Like, like even in a hotel, God has required me to clean up. Because I was a janitor in college cleaning toilets. And I said, why am I doing this? I'm supposed to be a pastor. And he said, exactly. He said, so you know how you didn't care for the way they treated you and treated the bathroom that you had to clean up after? Treat everything the rest of your life as if you're the one who's going to clean it up. Nobody's your servant. Here's another thought. Learn to depend on God. I, I, this was texted to me. I'll wrap it with this. This was texted to me, this picture from Juke and Jive. It's a a 50s style ice cream place in Brazelton found out they're 12 stoners and they're going to start closing on Sundays to practice their dependence on God because the teaching that God did about three weeks ago in the boats arrested them and they said you know what not only do we need to honor God with first fruits as we've learned to do but they felt God pressing them for some months to close on Sundays in order, in order to free up their staff so that they could have a day of rest and a day of worship and then simultaneously make that a day maker day where they take their truck and go give hugs and ice cream and prayers to people in the community. And I read that and I said, yes, yeah, that's how you depend on God. See, the world says, go left and be full of yourself. And Jesus says, go right, humble yourself. As I turn the service over to the campus pastors and they come pray over us, I just wonder, would you offer the prayer, God, help me see where I'm overinflated in pride. And where do I need to deflate? Help us, oh God. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.